It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103 hoping we find each and every one of you in good form this morning. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. It being Wednesday, it does mean that Peter Dowdle will join us later on on the programme. So if you do have a gardening question for Peter, uh, feel free to get it in. And yesterday we were talking about the hotel quarantining and the fact that it will be up and running from this coming Friday. Friday and passengers it seems now from more countries are set to face mandatory hotel quarantine. This was according to Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly who was grilled about the hotel quarantine yesterday at a press uh, conference. There was a briefing on the new uh, system and Stephen Donnelly said he expected that the current list of 33 red list countries, he expected that that would be expanded because certainly yesterday when I was calling out some of the 33 red list uh, countries we had a number of people, listeners contact us who were very critical of the list saying you know, that there's countries on it that very few people from those countries probably even know where Ireland is, that they won't even want to travel uh, here. And with what's going on across Europe and numbers rising across Europe, you wonder, will any of the European countries be added to the list. Others are talking, I heard on the news there at 10 o'clock, people are talking about what about the states, their area of the states where COVID-19 is rampant. Could that possibly uh, be added? But at the moment the list of 33 remains in place. But of course the big danger is, and Stephen Donnelly accepted this yesterday, we are seeing variants, new variants of coronavirus around the world. So the public health team, he says, keeping an eye on that and that they they expect that they will be adding to the list. But he said, for now, we just want to get the system up and running. And I think a lot of people will say, yeah, and not before time that you've got the system up and running. All categories coming from these 33 listed, red listed countries, they're called category two countries, will be required to pay in advance. And that answers the question that we had yesterday of what about people who come and stay and then they say that they don't have the money to pay for the hotel. They must pay pay in advance for their two-week stay in the quarantine and it's anyone arriving from a Category 2 country from 4am next Friday morning. The adult passengers will be charged €1,875 and it's for 12 days because of course on the 10th day they will have their second 
PCR test and if that one comes back negative they're giving they're allowing for two days for the result of that then they will be free to leave the quarantine hotel so 1875 for the adults and children over 12 is 625 younger children between 4 and 12 360 euro for the two week stay and infants under 3 are free uh, Minister Donnelly said the government will cover the cost of passengers who are forced to stay longer than 14 days in the hotel and that was one of the questions one of our listeners asked if we could find out yesterday what happens if a passenger arrives in this country now they have to arrive with a negative PCR test they go in to the quarantine hotel and then they have to take two tests during their 12 day stay what happens if one of the passengers tests uh, positive well if they test positive they will have to remain in the hotel for a longer period anything up to uh, 10 days and Stephen Donnelly said yesterday that the state will pick up the tab for that if there is an extra 10 days to be added on to the 12 days. He also said that Ireland was the first country in the EU to introduce what he describes as a very comprehensive uh, system. And we're trying to keep an eye on how many people are booking into the quarantine hotel. And I mean, the online portal only went live yesterday and already 26 people have booked uh, places. Six of them will be arriving this month. 15 are booked to arrive in April and five will arrive in May. So it'll be interesting to see how many more people coming from those uh, countries will be booking into the quarantine uh, hotel. And new figures released from the Department of Health, this is kind of the worrying one, showed that 4,172 people from those Category 2 countries were due to fly into this country in the period from the 7th of February to the 7th of March. And looking at the passenger locator form data, 1,828 came from the United Arab Emirates and there was 1,465 came from Brazil and 303 came from uh, South Africa. So with the quarantine hotel, if the quarantine hotel was up and running, all of those people would have been forced to go into that hotel and stay there for the two weeks. So have we closed the stable door after the horse has bolted? What's kind of worrying is an article in the Times today saying that we here in Ireland now, we have almost as many cases of the Brazilian variant. This is the P1 variant and that's one of the more worrying COVID-19 variants we have as many cases as the UK, despite a much smaller population than the United Kingdom. Nine cases of P1, which is more transmissible and could evade the immune response uh, provoked by the vaccines, have been identified here in the Republic, according to Neffet, whereas the UK have recorded 10 confirmed cases of the variant up to Monday. The number of cases of the variant have, has crept up since the first case was identified in mid-February despite mounting restrictions on international travel and focused tracing of contacts and cases. The P1, which was first identified in Brazil, but the real worry about this P1 strain is it's been blamed for a big resurgence of COVID-19 in the northern city of Manus in Brazil in December and January. And this was a city that had seen widespread COVID-19 last year 
to the point where they felt that this city had developed herb, herd immunity because so many people had already come down with COVID-19 and suddenly they discovered this new uh, variant and evidence that the people who had previously been infected were reinfected with this new variant. So this is kind of one of the strains that you really want to keep out of the country. The first three Irish cases were part of a travel-related cluster among people who had travelled back from Brazil and that was in the middle of February and since then that number has gone up to nine. And then we have a further 13 cases of a, of a Brazilian variant that's called P2. And it's another potentially problematic Brazilian variant. And that's also under investigation. Dr. Killian de Gascoigne of the National Virus Reference Laboratory says the reasons for the increase in the Brazilian cases, he says at this stage, were not clear. He said increased testing capability may be contributing to more cases being identified. But he did accept that we have significant pockets of population from Brazil who would have travelled home over the Christmas period and it is of course most likely that they brought it back in with them whereas if we'd had the quarantine hotels up and running those people got on the planes with a negative PCR uh, test and it was only obviously in the days after they arrived that they discovered that they had coronavirus and they had this particular strain whereas if they had been in the quarantine hotels which they will be now from next Friday that would have been picked up and it would have been identified because I think is it is it day five a test was done and then again on, on, day t- on day 10 and we know we've seen that happen before that somebody who's been identified as a close contact will go forward for a test and the test will come back negative and when they go forward for a second test on day 10 they can end up being positive it can just take longer uh, for the actual coronavirus to be identified in somebody's system. So that's why the quarantine hotels are so important and they do work and it will stop new strains coming into this country. And then when people are saying, well, do we need to start looking at some of the European countries? Do some people, if they're travelling from parts of Europe, do we need to consider putting them into quarantine hotels for two weeks? Because Germany is set to impose a complete shutdown over Easter. They're desperately trying to contain a rapidly growing third wave of the corona uh, virus and while that's going on in Germany in France uh, a decision has come for about fr- from France's hospitals chiefs they're warning that the country was hurtling towards a third epidemic crisis and that's despite France having fresh re- fresh restrictions and yesterday their French president Imal Imal Macron, he reacted to criticisms over France's slow vaccination rollout by saying it should be administering jabs morning, noon and evening and he's promised a change of pace. The government have been forced to place a third of the population in France under partial lockdown last weekend and that was due to rising infections. They've also announced now that the army is going to set up 35 mass vaccination centres in the coming days in France. Up to now France have relied on community halls and hospitals and doctor surgeries but they're now going to set up these mass vaccination centres and Germany what today or Angela Merkel's doing in Germany is all businesses now this includes supermarkets and grocery stores have all been ordered to close from Thursday of next week 
and to remain closed over Easter right up to and including Easter Monday. And it's been billed as an extended time of rest. Supermarkets and grocery stores will be allowed to open for only one day over Easter, which is going to be Easter Saturday. That's to allow people to buy uh, provisions. But the rest from Thursday through to Monday, they must remain uh, closed. Churches in Germany have been asked to cancel all of their Easter services. The Jewish community have been urged not to gather to mark Passover. And Muslims have also been asked to cancel their Friday prayers. And Germany w- Germans will be allowed to meet one other household over Easter, but they are being encouraged to limit their movements. And they have a new slogan, which is quite familiar to us here. Their slogan is, we stay at uh, home. So things certainly not looking good across Europe either. So we will watch with great interest the list of 33 countries that are currently on our list for ho- mandatory hotel quarantine. We'll watch that with interest to see will any more be added to the list. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls and talking of calls, we had a call in yesterday from James in Cloyne who asked us if we could find out were there diversions at River Street in Cloyne. Uh, he says, could we find out what was going on and were they remaining in place? James said, locals said it was something to do with the building falling down and could we find out what was going on? So we did contact Cork County Council who tell us that the road is River Street in Cloyne is closed on the grounds of health and safety and that they confirmed it's because a premises on River Street has suffered subsidence. I don't know if it's fully collapsed, but it has suffered subsidence. And for health and safety reasons, that road, River Street, remains closed in Cloyne. Don't forget this Friday, the 26th of March, is Daffodil Day in partnership with Boots. And while you can't buy an Irish Cancer Society daffodil when you're out and about on the streets, you can still support the amazing work that they do. How do you do it? You you can donate or you can visit the Daffodil Day shop at cancer.ie and please everyone, we all need to remember the Irish Cancer Society. They need our support this year more than ever because it is the second year that they won't have the traditional Daffodil Day of people out selling daffodils on the streets so please support them www.cancer.ie Now some of your comments coming in on the hotel quarantine Liz says if you arrive here and you haven't paid for your two week stay in the hotel and then you declare that you can't pay will you be sent back from the airport says uh, Liz Well I don't think you'll make it as far as the airport because you need to book Online, so I'm assuming when people get on board the plane, when they're they when they have to show their PCR test to prove that they have a negative PCR test, I'm assuming at that point in time they will also have to produce evidence that they have booked and paid for their hotel uh, accommodation. And somebody else is taking great umbrage with uh, Jerry and Fomoy taking huge umbrage with our health minister Stephen Donnelly for saying that if a person tests positive for COVID while they're in the quarantine hotel that the state will pay for the next 10 days or however long they have to remain in the hotel. Jerry and Fomoy says the cheek of him to say that the state will pick up uh, up the bill. At the end of the day when he says the state will pick up the bill what he means is the taxpayers of Ireland will pick up the bill. The sooner power is taken away from civil servants the better. Politicians are only puppets for civil servants so Jerry reckons some civil servant has come up with this idea that if somebody tests positive in the later stages of of their stay and must remain in the hotel. The state will pay for it. Stephen Donnelly said at that press briefing yesterday that he didn't think it would be fair 
for a person to be given an additional bill worth potentially thousands of a euro if they tested positive while in the hotel. And anyway, our Jerry in Formoy is not happy with that. Now, some other thoughts coming in. Anne in Blarney was on to us. Now, there's a number of people have raised this issue when we were talking yesterday about not having enough vaccines. And I was talking in particular about the row that seems to be going on between the EU and the United Kingdom. The fact that so many vaccines have been produced in the EU and a quarter of all vaccines that have been produced in plants in Belgium and in the Netherlands have gone to the United uh, Kingdom, whereas all of the vaccines made in the UK are staying in the UK. They have a ban on exporting any of their vaccines, why they still need vaccines in their own country. And of course, the EU is up in arms about that. And there's a bit of a row brewing between the EU and the United Kingdom. So Anne Blarney said, would it not be a lot smarter for our government to just to give extra money to the pharma companies that are based here? And we've a lot of pharma companies here in Cork so that they could possibly extend their buildings and build on and then be able to develop vaccines, vaccines that we could use uh, use in the future and use here in this country. And Anne in Blarney is not the first to have contacted about the, the about, about that saying why can't we look at all the pharma companies uh, we have why can't we manufacture our own vaccines well it seems manufacturing facilities across the states the pharma companies that are here are not equipped to make the COVID-19 vaccine and it seems it would take years for them to be repurposed to actually make vaccines Pfizer for example they began scaling up manufacturing for the COVID-19 vaccine last summer now they decided to send centralised production in four locations globally. Three they identified in the US and one they identified in Europe and of course the one that's in Europe for Pfizer is the one in Belgium. Some equipment required to produce the vaccine on the scale that they needed to produce it didn't even exist and it had to be created from scratch. It required a €2 billion investment by Pfizer in order to just start production. The investment in the equipment required meant that Pfizer had to decide on the best locations to produce the vaccine and they opted for three sites in the States and the one in uh, Belgium. So there was a quote I saw from a biopharmacist who uh, said we simply don't have the technology in this country and uh, and the government, I think, actually looked at doing that, looked at contacting the pharma company saying, is there anything we can do to help you to produce the vaccines here? But it simply isn't possible. It would be a lovely idea, particularly with all of the pharma plants that we have here. But even if Pfizer had decided to, instead of picking Belgium, had decided to pick the uh, plant here in Ireland, it still doesn't mean that all of the vaccines that would be made would actually be given out here in Ireland because we've already, as I just mentioned, seen so many of a quarter of all of the vaccines made in Belgium and in the Netherlands ended up in the UK. It didn't even stay in uh, Europe. Anne is worried, as is a different Anne, is worried about AstraZeneca. Our doctors recommending AstraZeneca for those with blood thinners. Again, anyone who's any kind of a query about a vaccine and the type of vaccine you get, direct that to your doctor. Your doctor will certainly be able to give you the best advice. I know as it stands, everybody over the age of 70 and they're continuing to give out the vaccines to the over 70s. We 
be hammered from some over 70s who are disappointed that they still haven't been contacted by their GP and some people are saying that some doctors practices seem to be flying through their over 70s with the supply they're getting and it's not necessarily don't be blaming your GP the GP can only administer the number of vaccines that they get in and I, I really I can't make any sense of how they actually distribute them because it seems in towns you can have one GP practice who will have enough vaccines in to va- to vaccinate everybody on their books over the age of 70 and you could have a doctor's practice just across the road who barely has enough to do the over 85s in their practice so I don't know how it's actually been distributed but there's nothing that the doctors can do except try to keep pleading with the HSE to get as many vaccines that, uh, that they ne- actually need for their practice so at the moment the over 70s are not being as far as I can see they're not being given the AstraZeneca they're only being given the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine but any question like that um, just when when you get to it is your turn have a chat with your uh, doctor and Joan in Holly Hill was on to us saying does anybody else feel that it's very unfair that the likes of Joan who at age 66 and receives a contributory pension and used to work before the pandemic hit used to work 15 hours a week is not able to avail of the PUP payment she said she misses her extra money from the 15 hours of work that she was getting but as a pensioner anyone who's on a pension they were not entitled to the pandemic uh, payment and you're not on your own Joan I've heard that argument being put forward by a lot of old age pensioners who are very fit mobile active and love the idea of going out to work and have been working while still drawing down their contributing pension which they're entitled to and suddenly the pandemic arrived and their particular job uh, was gone and they weren't entitled to any form of compensation through the pandemic payment. Do I think it's unfair Joan? Absolutely I think it's unfair. My heart goes out to you particularly if you were relying on that extra money just to pay the bills etc. And then a listener was on saying Patricia wondering if you or any of your listeners would know do recycling centres take baking tins and old frying pans I have a lot of them as I used to bake professionally at one stage and I'm doing a bit clear out and want to get rid of them does anybody know I would imagine recycling centres would take them but we'll put it out has anybody brought old baking tins and frying pans to a recycling centre will they take them in for our listener the only thing I will add to it if they're usable I mean I don't know the old frying pans maybe or not but the baking tins you can use baking tins God I have baking tins there is I don't know how long I have them for. They're they're, they're 30 years, if not more. And I know of people who will have baking tins that were passed down through the generations. Baking tins have a tendency to last, don't they? So I'm wondering, could you hold on to them until the charity shops open up again? Because I'm sure charity shops will probably take the baking tins from you and be able to sell them on. I don't know if that's a possibility or not. But anyway, if anyone has advice for a listener on what to do with the old baking tins and the old frying pans, can she bring them to the recycling centre? Let us know. 1850 Three three one zero three. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp. Oh eight six two. 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, yesterday, representatives of the pub, restaurant, and hotel trades came before the Oireachtas Tourism Committee to outline the effects the pandemic has had and continues to have on their industries. Joining me this morning, the chair of the Cork Fitness Federation of Ireland, and that is Michael O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Michael, isn't it fair to say that owners of wet pubs like yourself, like yourself, are the ones most affected by the COVID restrictions of all of the groups that were represented yesterday? 
Yes, Patricia, look, uh, I suppose, uh, like me, an old-style traditional pub, uh, we're closed for the bones of a year. We, we did get to open for 16 days back last September, uh, but since the 15th of March last year, that was the only trading period we got. But look, I think even those that were in, say, the gastropub side of us doing the food, they got, um, like, say, 10 weeks during the summer and then got two and a half, three weeks in December so. Uh, while they got uh, uh, more than what I did, I still wouldn't say it was a was, was a great year for them uh, mm-hmm. either. So uh, for our industry in a whole, it just wasn't a, a great year 2020. And look, unfortunately, we're here now, uh, March 24th, 2021. And I suppose as we sit here this morning, uh, the outlook, um, it's just frustrating at the moment. Uh, and that's, as you said, the Oireachtas yesterday, our CEO and president, uh, along with our colleagues in the LVA and the Hotels Federation and Restaurant Association, were in making representations to TDs and senators on our behalf. Is there also a feeling now that wet pubs must reopen as the, at the same time as the rest of the hospitality sector? Yeah, look, um, that's what we're we're asking for. Look, last last year we saw this piece about the you know the nine euro meal, this famous meal, um, and what we're asking for is look. There doesn't really seem to be any scientific evidence, as has been proved uh, through the courts in the UK, um, that uh, that it, it didn't really stand up uh, scientifically. So um, I know last night on on uh, on the TV, um, uh, a government uh, person was saying that uh, you know there's behavioural science behind it. But look, we all saw it when we got to open. We operated with the same restrictions and guidelines that pubs that had opened during the summer open so what we're asking for is uh you know they all open together because what we did see last summer was people from different parishes traveling you know cross parish say to go to a pub that serves food so extra pressure was put on some premises the ones that were open, that were open. yeah so like yeah. as we're what we're telling government is if we all get an opportunity to open open all hospitality because it will take the pressure off it will stop people traveling it will keep people in their own community and look, it goes back, it'll keep jobs going as well in those communities. So it's, And it, it will spread people out. It, absolutely. But like, as I said, it would take real significant pressure off those that, the, say, so few that would open. Like, we estimate only about 20% uh, would be open if it's an outdoor experience where, um, it, look, whenever we get to go indoor, at least uh, it would spread it out, um, you know, if all got open then together. And I'd see on the front of the the Echo today, you're calling for a clear road map. I mean, how important is it for you to have a clear road map rather than suddenly getting an announcement one day you're going to open next Monday? That's of no use or that makes it very awkward for your industry. Well, it, it, it just wouldn't be practical, I would say, for the vast majority of publicans. Um, and I'd say across hospitality, it wouldn't because, look, uh, what we're asking for at the moment our breweries, you know, the, here on the island, and uh, they're not brewing at the moment. So they need a couple of weeks' notice uh, to get going and then to get it through the distribution channels to get it back out to us. We then have the other problem of, look, a lot of staff might have left uh, now because it closed for, you know, it could be, you know, 13, 14, 15 months by the time we'll have opened. So we'll need to re-engage with staff, rehire staff, train staff, get them uh, up to whatever restrictions are, um, are, are, you know, procedures in our own premises that will be there. So that just isn't as simple as just coming in the door, turning on the lights and opening the front door. 
Uh, we need to get our pubs set up, restocked, um, get the place deep cleaned again and ready to go. So it, it does take time. So that's why we're asking for, can we please, you know, in the coming weeks, start seeing a roadmap? Um, and look, we appreciate they can't tell us, you know, in the next couple of weeks that we're going to open on, say, the 3rd of June or the 5th of June or the 12th of June. But they could give us a roadmap with, you know, an idea that if we get to a certain level of vaccination, if we get a certain level of ICU, if we get to a certain level of hospital admissions or combination, that we can keep track of it and we can be starting working then from that scenario. And look, we appreciate things might change along the roadmap, but at least have some basis that we can start working on and uh, working towards a future for our industry. Similar to what the UK, they have a very clear roadmap. They're not guaranteeing that it's going to happen, but there is a very clear roadmap there. Uh, Absolutely. And look, that's what we're asking for is just to set out a roadmap, set out a plan and look, hopefully, please God, we can stick to the plan, but at least we'll have a plan that we can work off and go forward with. Yeah, and the, the talk of the an outdoor option will most likely be first. That doesn't work for everybody, though. It does, look, as I said, roughly it's about 20% of the hospitality would have uh, an outdoor setting. The vast majority would be landlocked, like me. I'm landlocked. I have a very small footpath outside the front of my premises, so it's really not an option for a lot of us. Um, and like those that have the outdoor setting we would be asking for that it would be, uh, you know, whatever limits they put on or whatever uh, combination of pods they're talking about, it would be pro rata to the size of your premises as as opposed to last summer when it was just 15 allowed on any one premises. Like, we have some of the biggest beer gardens here in, in, in County Cork and a few in Cork City that could take multiples of 15. So we're, we're asking them to, to, to be practical in it and to give people a chance and for those that can open to make it some way viable because, look, we know it's very expensive to set up an outdoor setting and here in Ireland, uh, I suppose here in the southwest corner, uh, as I said, the, the weather isn't very conducive. A lot of the time you're, you know, if you get to the month of August and you're, you could have the four seasons in one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, uh, outdoor dining comes with, a, or outdoor service comes with a huge challenge um, yeah, for us here. So, Look, I suppose the game changer for us is we need to get indoor. And I suppose, look, we're we're all hearing by June, 80% of the adult population will have had a, um, their first dose, that at least, of the vaccine. So we need to see the benefits because we keep hearing about the benefits of this vaccine. So we, we, we need to see the roadmap and the benefits thereafter. Yeah. And have you have you any indication when you when you may be able to open? No, look, uh, to be quite honest, I suppose... Uh, Patricia, we're not really in the cabinet conversations at the moment. And look, we we appreciate that, but we are asking them after the, the you know the fifth of April when they make the next lot of announcements for you know the kids to go back to secondary school, possibly construction, retail. We're probably next on the ladder then after that in hospitality. But we need to have the conversation with them and start having the conversation with the highest level of, of government to get a, to get this roadmap and to get it going soon after the, the 5th of April to, to, to start getting a plan together. OK, a couple of listeners are, are saying, what about uh, the older people who are fully vaccinated? Could pubs and restaurants not open up for them? That's a vaccination bonus, like what you mentioned. Yeah, look, the... Look, we keep hearing that the, the vaccine is the game changer, but look, we don't seem to have a plan for what comes after June. 
uh, when, eight, as I said, 80% of the population will have their first, the, the adult population will have their first dose. So, again, that goes back. We, look, we, we'd love to see government coming up with a plan and like, we'd love to be, have input into that plan if we could. Um, and look, that's, uh, that's where we're looking to go for. Okay, okay. And I know I've spoken with you before in the past about the mental health implications for some of your members. Are you still hearing and getting distressing calls from some of them, Michael? Absolutely. Look, the other night uh, was, wasn't a great night, Monday night, I can tell you. For many publicans here in Cork, um, uh, the deputy CMO's announcement that went across from his news uh, conference that it would be totally an outdoor summer um, as I said, that only uh, can uh, facilitate about 20% of the pubs uh, across the, the country, and Cork would be no different to that. So for 80%, that was a, a hammer blow, really, to hear those words. And look, we've heard Neffet coming out with sweeping statements before, and we've kind of uh, been asking for, for it to be stopped, really, because... Um, look, I hate saying this, but we didn't elect Nefes, you know, or anything. We should be having these conversations with our elected representatives. And I suppose sweeping statements like that uh, shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be, I suppose, let go uh, unchallenged like that. Uh, the way it came out Monday, because it causes distress and uh, real anxiety for people. Because um, the summer is crucial for a lot of people, I suppose, especially rural publicans here around Cork. Uh, to make their money during the summer to get through the winter and hearing those words coming from him um, was a real hammer blow for a lot of them. Okay, all right. Did you feel, did you feel the representatives yesterday got a fair hearing from the, the TDs present? Yeah, look, um, I think we they, they listened and looked at comments from a lot of the TDs and senators um, asking questions and getting involved. It was very constructive. Um, so yes, look, we, we feel like we got a, a good hearing. So hopefully um, tonight, I know there's a parliamentary party meeting, so hopefully we'll get um, get some debate on it there. And look, it's the start of the conversation really for, for what needs to happen for hospitality going forward uh, to get this plan going. OK, all right, we leave it there. We'll speak again, Michael, in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Chair of the Cork Vintners Federation, Michael O'Donovan. Some of your thoughts. Uh, Trish, the longer the pubs stay closed, the better, says this listener. You don't realise the relief to many mothers, wives and people at home. It's the only bit of happiness they have. Having the pubs uh, closed, our pubs the head and tail of everything open the church churches that would be a lot more uh, important. Somebody else says we need our hospitality and our pubs back up and running. Michael Donovan is right. What we need is a clear road map and we're certainly not getting that road map. And uh, John says Patricia there'll be no pubs open this year. That's the road map. It's all doom and gloom. That's some of your texts to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now we have uh, a listener has contacted us looking for a little bit of uh, advice. I suppose you would call it relationship advice. Let's play Agony Ant for the next couple of minutes. Jenna, by the way, not her real name because we don't want to identify her. Has contacted the programme and said, I would love to get people's opinions on this rather than go to my own family and my own friends. My boyfriend lately is really over the top on this five 
kilometre travel limit. We stopped meeting up in January when Level 5 was introduced and that was due to the very high number of COVID cases. But I did managed to persuade him to meet up again in February and we did that for a couple of weeks but he kept saying we need to be very careful and I felt we were very careful and he says we need to be thinking of others. He lives about a 20 minute drive from me so it's obviously outside of my five kilometre and his five kilometre limit. When we met up in February I used to call to his place and we actually met up outside. We never went into the house and we did as best we could social distancing within a relationship. Now the problem is he lives with his mother and I I do accept his mother has an underlying health condition and he's looking after her and is trying to keep her safe throughout this pandemic. But I'm wondering, where is his interest in me? I'm starting to get sick of just having a virtual relationship. He says he can't risk the journey and has to think of his man, which is fair enough. But what about us? What about our relationship? I think if he really wanted to, he could make some kind of an effort. I'm not asking him to meet every night, but at least let us meet up at the weekend, even if we have to meet up outside. The advice I'm looking for, my head is telling me I should simply dump him. But in my heart, I really do like this guy. But maybe if I dump him, I'll be able to find somebody who would be able to travel within the with outside the five kilometres and would be willing to put our relationship first. What do other people people think? Now that I write this to you, I read it back and thinking, am I really a bad person to be even thinking this way? But I'm just getting sick and tired of the relationship the way it is and I want it to develop further and I can't do that by just looking at him on a computer screen. Thanking you, signed Confused Jenna. As I said, we've made up Jenna's, Jenna's we've changed Jen, Jenna's name. That's not her real name. So what's your advice to Jenna? Should she hang in there with the relationship and just take patience? I mean, I do. I can see it from the boyfriend's point of view, particularly I think the fact that he's living with his mother and his mother, I don't know how serious his mother's underlying condition is, but he's obviously very nervous of bringing COVID back into the household, of him getting COVID and bringing it back in. And, you know, he's trying to do his bit by abiding by all of the rules and regulations and sticking and staying within his 5K. It's unfortunate, Jenna, that you do live outside of the 5K. But I mean, I know your head is telling you to dump him, but the very fact that I think you've put it on paper you do like this guy. You do want some kind of a relationship to form unless you can pause even though the relationship, the fact it's virtual, probably has been paused at the moment. But anyway, let's see what other listeners think. What should Jenna do? Should she simply dump this guy and find somebody else and someone who even if they are outside of the 5k would be willing to travel and meet up as she says she doesn't want to do it every night uh, maybe just at the weekends maybe meet a couple of times a week just so that they can develop the relationship in some way that she feels reading her email there's a sense that it's a relationship going nowhere at the moment You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed there was a fantastic ring around the moon last night. Did you see it? And you know something? I didn't, but I got a flood of texts in from people. Somebody saying, did you notice anything strange about the moon last night? And Mary Mallow says, morning, Patricia, do, do you know why there was a white circle around the moon last night? It was all a bit weird, says our Mary in Mallow. Well, I can tell you, the ring around the moon is called a moon ring or a winter 
halo. It forms as direct sunlight or moonlight is refracted into millions of ice crystals and they're suspended in the atmosphere. It's also called a 22 degree halo. And what I was interested to note when I started looking up about it today, when we started getting the flooded texts uh, in, it's visible as many as 100 days a year. And scientists say it's actually more frequently seen than rainbows. And I don't know if it is. I don't know. I certainly haven't had that many people contact us about the halo around the moon last night. John Paul said he read somewhere it's also known as a corona halo, which is kind of appropriate. But the one that worries me the most is Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. He said that the halo is often seen before a period of low pressure. He said folklore would say that they appear before a storm. And in olden times, when people looked to nature to predict what way the weather was when we didn't have the good people at Met Air and telling us what the weather was going to be like. Uh, the older generation looked to things like that and when they saw this moon halo, they would go, uh-oh, we're going to have a storm. And we've checked in with Met Air and, and actually folklore could be right because the forecast for the rest of the week is very, very unsettled. It's going to turn very cold as the week progresses and there's going to be heavy blustery showers bringing the risk of some wintry participation at times so that could explain why we have these ice crystals formed around the moon last night and uh, I saw a lot of people were putting some great great pictures up on social media so I don't know if it's going to be there again tonight or not I certainly will have a look out at the moon tonight but it certainly was there last night Uh, so thank you to people who were contacting us about that now thanks to a huge number of people who have contacted us with words of advice for Jenna who has contacted us looking for a bit of relationship advice her boyfriend lives outside of the five five kilometre limit they had been meeting up for a time but then when we went into level five boyfriend said hang on a tick I'm trying to look after my mother she's an underlying health condition terrified of bringing COVID home so he stopped meeting up with Jenna, Jenna and they have a kind of a virtual relationship now they'll you know see each other on online they'll do FaceTime Zoom calls whatever or they're on the phone to each other she's getting a bit sick of it and she's saying he doesn't seem he seems to be thinking more about his mother than he is about their relationship and she's looking for advice on should she dump him or not and I can tell you we've had a mixed reaction to Jenna's email let me give you some of the texts that came in literally as soon as I I closed the microphone after talking about Jenna Joan Dunmanway says dump him Dump him. He is simply not worth it. Somebody else says, Jen, in all fairness, he's looking after his mom, and you're not allowed to travel beyond your 5K uh, until lockdown is uh, over. Uh, so somebody supportive of the boyfriend. Someone else says, give him the road. Someone else says, tell Jenna, move on and get on with her own life. While Olive says, Gemma, isn't he a lovely, caring guy? Keep him. That's what more of us should be doing. We should be stopping all this mixing and by stopping mixing and travelling outside of our 5k we might see the numbers go down further. Another texter. Dump that guy, Jenna. He is wasting your time. You're wasting your time with him. I wonder what age she is. I hope she stops wasting her time. In my opinion, she'll always come second to him looking after his mother. Good luck to her. And then Jackie in Tupot House, I think, makes a very valid point. Uh, Jackie says, when you are a carer, you will do anything to keep that person safe. If the person you're caring for got COVID and then died, you would never get over it and you'd never be able 
to forgive yourself. If you want this man, Jenna, then you're simply going to have to wait. And that's from Jackie in Two Pot House. Thank you for that, uh, Jackie. And some of your calls in to John Paul. Sheila says, I think she is looking at this as all me, me, me. So many of us have to live with relationships by phone call or Zoom or FaceTime at the moment. That's what we all have to do. It's the lives we're all li- we're all living through. She is not thinking of him uh, and certainly is not thinking of his mother. She comes across as a total me person, says Sheila. Betty in Mitchellstown says, I think Jenna needs to continue to wait or make the decision now. Just let him go. She can't blame him. He's in a very tough situation. At the end of the day, we're all living in a pandemic. She's actually coming across a little bit selfish. Tom in for Moy says, if someone belonging to her had an underlying health condition, how would Jenna react? The guy has been straight up and told her what is going on. He is coming across as a very kind uh, person, but she just seems to want more and more and more. Um, it's because of that our rising COVID figures are going up all the time. And John in East Cork says he was actually in a similar situation as Jenna's boyfriend. He's now ex- girlfriend wanted them to meet up all the time but when Christmas came when we went into lockdown John says he was slow to meet up and he, but he said it was the same with all of our friends we, we all stopped meeting we all stopped meeting with family because the case numbers were simply too uh, high my girlfriend at the time uh, lived 30 kilometres away from uh, me she was putting pressure to meet up I felt it was wrong to do it and in the end she broke up with me but I still feel we did the right thing at the time I have other friends who were going going through similar situations with their girlfriends but their girlfriends are sticking with them. My ex made a big deal out of it. Alison said I agree with Jenna to some extent. She wants to see her boyfriend. She's in a relationship. She wants to develop the relationship. If she really wants to see her, if he really wants to see her, he'd make some kind of effort. This could go on for years. Oh, well, I don't think it's going to go on for years but if it's not working out for her then I simply think she should dump him and move on. The thing is though, he has been honest with her and she didn't have any problem at the start but she seems to have a huge problem now. What has changed? I wonder has her feelings changed in some way? Connor says I wonder how much does she really like him? Are she only meeting up for just one thing and he'll get the road anyway after lockdown? I don't know what you're insinuating with that comment, uh, Connor. Anne-Marie and Douglas agrees with Jenna. Why should lockdown stop her relationship? She needs to move on and fi- find somebody who will dedicate his time to her. Mary and Domanway says, I think the boyfriend is being used. If she does dump him, he needs to run a mile. He'll get a lucky escape. Nancy in Newmarket, she's so selfish. A relationship is give and and take. She seems to be doing all the taking at the moment. Derek says, I can see Jenna's point and I can also see the boyfriend's point. I feel they want different things so maybe she should move on. And Karina said she needs to find herself a real man. Lots of people are meeting up and breaking the five kilometre rule. And Karina, is that why we have rising numbers, I wonder? And a final one, Orla says she needs to move on and find somebody that will meet up with her. However, I think she needs to be realistic at the same time. I 
wonder, did she have this conversation with him straight out? Has she told him that she's considered dumping him? I don't think she has, judging by the email I received. I don't think she has told him that. She's kind of looking for, to try to sort out in her head what she wants to do. So anyway, thank you. That's just a sample of some of the calls and texts that we have in offering advice. We appreciate it. And hopefully Jenna can, I don't know if we've helped Jenna in any way, because it does seem very much divided down the middle, doesn't it? The people who say stick with them. This is a good guy with a good caring heart and on the other side of the board you've got people saying no he's not into the relationship get rid and Timmy in Donnerwell was on he was listening to Michael O'Donovan who was talking on behalf of the Vintners and what happened at the committee the Oireachtas committee meeting on tourism yesterday and you had all of the partners in uh, affected by the tourism trade there was the licensed Vintners Federation the Vintners Federation of Ireland the restaurant associations were there the hotel federation were there and they were just talking about how difficult this pandemic has been for anyone involved in the hospitality trade and I suppose trying to get their message across that they need I think the one thing that came across very strongly for Michael O'Donovan is they need some kind of a road map there just doesn't seem to be any road map of how we as a country will get out of this but more particular how hospitality will get out of it and you know have they any light at the end of the tunnel uh, and then he was also Michael was also critical of Neffet and Timmy Donnerwell didn't like Michael's comments about Neffet particularly where Michael said we didn't elect Neffet we elected a government to do uh, the job but Michael says the government have to rely on Neffet's uh, advice but if it will take until June for some things to come back uh, come back that is the reality uh, Timmy and Donnerell's suggestion is why not lock down everything, close everything down for two to three weeks let us not forget it is the general public who are responsible for the figures, look what happened at Christmas so while people criticise the government where I live in Donnerell there's the wonderful Donnerell Park registration numbers have been taken but many are coming from well outside their 5k so we can't we have to stop blaming the government we have to stop blaming Neffet, we have to stop all the criticism and we all have to take on personal responsibility and you know say what are we doing are we all doing our bit uh, to try to stop the numbers from increasing that is uh, Timmy in uh, Donnerell and you know when when Michael is critical and others he's not the first I've heard uh, criticise Neffert all Neffert Neffert take the health advice that's what they're doing and they're not looking at it from the economy's uh, point of view they're looking at what they can do to save lives they're looking at what we can do to, to keep the numbers down and to keep the pressure off our hospitals and that's the business they're in they're in the business of trying to keep as many people as alive as possible and to try to keep our health service up and uh, running so all they can do is look at what's happening in this country look at clusters look at numbers and then they give the advice to government but at the end of the day Michael is right we do elect the government we don't elect Neffet and as our elected representatives then the government take on board what Neffet says and we have seen in this last year they don't all take on board what Neffet says. They might take some of the advice and when we were earlier talking about mandatory hotel quarantining, I take you back to last May. Neffet advised that we have these hotel quarantines in. They wanted them up and running last May and even when the decision was taken well over a month ago now, the legislation went through to open up the hotel quarantine and get the bedrooms up and running and get people off planes and into hotels for the two weeks. Neffet clearly stated they wanted everyone coming off of 
every plane to go into a quarantine hotel and the government said no, we'll open the hotels. Certainly it's much later than last May when Neffert wanted them to do to do it. But again, they've gone against Neffert's advice and they've just got 33 countries on the list. So they don't do everything. Neffert doesn't say jump and the government doesn't say how high. So we're wrong. People are wrong in criticising and pointing the finger of blame at Neffert. All Neffert do is advise and then our government, who we do duly elect, they are the ones who make the decisions. 1850-333-103. And a final text in. Uh, the government says this listener are a joke with when it comes to this coronavirus. Take us back to when we hit foot and mouth 20 years ago. Minister Joe Walsh stopped all movement. It only lasted a number of months. But what happened? We successfully kept foot and mouth out of this country. But sadly, says this text, no hope of bringing him back. May he rest in uh, peace. And I was only talking to somebody yesterday who was making that very same point. Uh, people getting frustrated with what's happening with lockdowns and coming in and out of lockdowns. And when is this lockdown ever going to end? And people who can remember that time of foot and uh, mouth. And the country did come to an absolute stance. And it was around this time of year, wasn't it, that we had foot and mouth? Because I remember all this, the St. Patrick's Day parades got cancelled. And I also remember all the drama festivals. They were all cancelled. And so it was around this time of year and we didn't travel anywhere and people didn't go out of the country. And and there was it was it was a form of quarantining and it lasted for so many months. And we did that to protect the herd of our country. Now, people will say it was also done uh, to protect the economy and the money that comes in through agriculture. But we successfully did it. And so many people are saying how we got it so right with foot and mouth and how we don't seem to be getting it so right with uh, coronavirus. And it's very different. We're saving. We're trying to save people's lives this time. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. A general operative, now preferably with some construction background, is required for work. It's mostly in the Munster and Leinster areas. A finance office manager is required. That's for Liscarroll. Need of experience in SAGE, budgets and payroll. Mobile crane operator slash labourer is wanted. That's to work on a site in Cork City. Uh, while traffic management operatives are wanted to work in Castletown Bear, no experience is necessary, but you do need to have manual handling and safe pass tickets. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. Now, concerns have been voiced that up to 100 young people in East Cork could be left without a place in secondary school this coming September. The issue has been raised in the Dáil by Cork East Dáil Deputy David Stanton, uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, David. Patricia, hello, how are you? Uh, you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, this issue seems to come up every single year. I seem to be either interviewing a local TD yeah. or I'm interviewing uh, a, pa- a parent. Is, yeah. it, is it worse this year than previous years? Yeah, that's why I raised it in the, in the doll because I had a sense that we need to have a closer look at it. I mean, every year we have this issue, as you quite rightly say, and every year it causes distress and worry amongst parents and, and, and students. And every year, up to now, anyway, we've uh, the issues were resolved, and uh, as far as I know, every child got a place. They might not have got the place they wanted in the, in the school they wanted initially, but they got a place, so that nobody was knocking in my door anyway in September saying my child hasn't got a place, and I, I don't want it to happen next September either. So that's why I raised it. Um, what happens is um, 
and understandably parents have applied to more than one school and all the schools in it and they have long waiting lists obviously and um as they go through, as the months go on then, and places are offered, um, parents are asked, you know, they remove themselves from waiting lists and, th- and things become more manageable. And that's what's happening at the moment. In fact, only a few days ago, I think the ETB have announced that they are making an, another class available in St. Coleman's, uh, in, which is good, and I, I expect that might happen in, in Kytool as well. But having said that, I have, a, I have a con- in one sense, it's good that parents apply to more than one school because then their chances of actually getting a place increases. But there's another group of parents that have come to my attention recently, and that's a group of parents that have, on, have only applied to one school. And if that's the case, other schools won't know about them and won't offer places to them. And if the school they apply to is full, there, that might be problems in September. So that's why I wanted the Department of Officials and the Minister to have a closer look at this and to find out exactly how, what the position is regarding numbers. Now, the, the principals in all the schools in East Cork, in fairness, have all come together. They've all worked together to compare lists and so on to try and manage the, manage the situation. And the ETB has also are very seized on this and are, are working hard to try and figure out exactly how many extra places are needed. Because nobody really knows and, and uh, then to make those available. Bearing in mind as well that, okay, we've had a lovely extension in the CBS in Milton a number of years ago. St. Cormans has just opened a new extension, in fact. Um, we are awaiting and we're all frustrated at the lack of progress in Tool. We're all pushing that very hard to get a new school built there. But on top of that, and I said this in the doll as well, there's a, there's a further new school will be needed in East Cork before too long. And I, I That's I, on, on top of the one for Tool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Um, there are there are, for instance, plans to build two and a half thousand houses in Waterrock, no, the yeah. West Middleton, and as as we speak, all over East Cork, in the villages and so on. And remember, the catchment area from Middleton and Kytool is quite big, so there are children coming from Whitegate and from you know Dungourney and so forth into Middleton, and all that big catchment area, and so same in Kytool. So you have all the villages with new houses and young families, and it's great to see. Um, primary schools seem to be doing okay. They've all got extensions. A lot of those have got extensions as well, and new rooms and so on, and upgrades. But the, the, the other issue, of course, you know, the special needs children, or children with additional needs who might, who might need SNA rooms and places and classes and special schools and so on. And, and I've been pushing very hard to try and get a special school in East Cork for quite a number of years now. I thought we had this a number of years ago, but it d- didn't happen for all, all kinds of reasons. But I'm very anxious that, you know, children with additional needs uh, would be also looked after um, mm. and they should be top of our well, list. But it's, a, it's very frustrating on parents in the East Cork mm. area because it's the only area that I seem to deal with every year that this, this problem arises. And it, I mean, it's literally putting so much pressure on parents and on the sixth class students themselves who don't well, know for sure where they're going to be in school in September. Yeah, if you're a little boy or girl and you're in sixth class and all your, your comrades have places and you don't, I can understand that. And I've had parents that come to me with that issue that my, my, my child hasn't got a place and all the others have and he or she is very upset and worried. Now, we, we, all, myself and my colleagues do our best to reassure because we've been down this road before and we, we, we know that every year, it helped now, it has sorted itself out. But I mean, as I say, because of the situation this year, I was a bit, a bit more concerned about it when I was looking at the numbers and I'm in constant contact as my colleagues are as well with the principals and with ETB and with the department to try and keep on top of this. And that's why I raised it in the doll with the minister last week to ask that they the, 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 the department inspectors have a close look at this and, mm. and, and see exactly what's needed and, you know, try and reassure parents and, and the students you mentioned that they will get places in September. It, every September up to now, we've had, we've had the same kind of problems every year up to now, but it has been resolved. But 
and I'm, I'm hoping this year it will as well. But would, I'm would, also looking at the longer term. Thing. But would it help going forward, David, if parents stopped putting their children on more than one school and stopped this duplication? At least then you straight away could see where the pinch point is and where you are going to need more places. Well, I suppose parents have a choice, uh, you know, to... to, to to more than one school that, that's there but in one sense it, 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 that, that sounds practical but in another sense then if, all, if a, a huge number of parents apply to one school that school won't be able to take them off and, and you know other schools won't know about the students who don't have places so in a, in a way it's a good thing that they are applying to more than one school and then they manage the list and so forth now I know in some parts of the country I think in Limerick schools have come together and they have a central, central applications to yeah, the system that would make sense a central office all, all schools are independent they are their own boards of management they might have slightly different enrolment criteria but it's something that I've been suggesting to principals and to the minister as well that maybe it's something we could do in East Cork the other thing that happens of course in East Cork is that some parents you know, also enroll their children in schools in the city maybe they're working in town in the city or whatever and you know, it could happen that in August they might be offered a place in one of the city schools and then go back to the school in East Cork and say we're not going to your school now we're going to the city instead so that can also happen so it's not as simple as uh, because it's not a, a closed catchment, if you will. But it's something that I just it just needs, at this stage, um, a bit more focus, a bit more attention. As I say, the ETB are working hard. They've already made places available, I think, a couple of days ago now in, in, in St. Cormans. So we'll see movement there. And then it's like a domino effect when a child gets offered a place in one school. He or she might say to another school, I'm not going to your school now. And then that offers, opens up a free space there. Mm. So it's it's complex. And um, how do you know, how do individual schools uh, decide if you know, they have 100 places and 130 apply? How do they pick the 100 that are yeah, going to get the place? In some cases, what they have is they have situations where if they have a child of a staff member applying or they have a child of a sibling who's already in the school applying, they might give them priority. Um, they used to have feeder schools. I think that's not so strong as it was in the past. At the end of the day, what happens is if there's a, a certain number of students left over and, and a smaller number of places, they run. A, they have a kind of a, a draw and they pull, pull, literally pull names out of a hat. Yeah. And um, they offer the places then. Um, and that's done under supervision. Because the, the situation where you had an older sibling attending the school, mm. is that still in use? In some schools it is. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure of the detail of which schools still do it, but in some schools it is. Um, if it was sibling, or indeed, if it was, in some cases, if it was the case if your parent went to the school, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you, you'd also... Now, you know, they, some of those are questionable, but you know that's what boards are managing. Well, well when, when when people are moving to an area yeah. who didn't grow up in the area, it's kind of hard for a parent to have gone to the school. But of course, the big one of the bigger solutions to the problem would be the new community college for for Carrigtool, which is I think Carrigtool is one of the fastest growing towns uh, in uh, Cork. What is the update? Are we about eight years waiting for that school well, to be longer. built? I mean, is it been, longer? We've been pushing that for quite a long time, and. Um, the, uh, there was there were some mix-ups with the planning applications a little while back, and that has slowed it down. We're waiting for the tender documents. We were told by the department the tender documents will be up before the end of this month, actually. So we're expecting those to be available soon. I know that last week, I think there was a go-ahead was given to start some road infrastructure works, which are, which are necessary for the school to get built. So I think they're I think they're going ahead now, from what I can figure out. And you know, we're all pushing it very very hard. And myself, my colleagues, other TDs in the area have parliamentary questions down. I'd say. Every, every, not every week, but every month at least, every couple of weeks, to the minister pushing this. Um, so we are all, we all want this to happen as soon as possible. Um, it, and not only it, it will be three schools into one campus. It's the largest 
project the Department of Education have ever undertaken themselves. Um, it's uh, three schools, two primary schools and a secondary school in one campus. So it's a massive, massive project. So the sooner it starts, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, we leave it there, David. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is East Cork, Cork Doll Deputy uh, David Stanton, 1850 uh, I've just spotted a number of WhatsApps coming in uh, that they just took a little bit longer. Sometimes the WhatsApps take longer to come in than the text uh, with words of advice for uh, Jenna on whether she should dump the boyfriend or not. And there's a lot of people actually making similar comments. Um, Carmen Mitchistown says, Tricia, tell that young lady with the boyfriend to settle down a little bit. I'm in a similar situation. I haven't seen my partner in three months. If he's worth it, she simply just has to uh, wait. Hi Patricia, on the subject of Jenna, if he cares, the boyfriend cares for his mum that much, then I think he's a great catch. They always say, see how a son treats his mother and then you'll know that you've got a good man. And there's so many people making that very same point. Somebody else says Jenna is very lucky to have a guy like that. Uh, Always remember the the men that look after their mother will look after their wife or partner the same way it is the hang he's definitely somebody to hang on to Bernie says I know several people doing long term relationships and they're very committed to each other this guy Jenna's boyfriend sounds like a very caring man and I'm sure if he hears the show this morning and he works out that we're talking about him she'll be the one getting dumped she should count herself lucky that he's still willing to have a virtual relationship with with her. 1850 and Ed Mammy says, Morning Patricia, you now have a new section on your show called Agony Aunt. Ask Trish. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, last summer, a group of mountain goats were hired by the Temple Breedy Save Our Steeple Committee to help keep St. Matthew's graveyard clean and tidy during the summer months. To find out why the group has moved from goats to sheep this year, I'm joined by a local Crosshaven councillor, uh, Audrey Buckley, who I believe is on her way to the sheep as we speak. Good morning to you, Audrey. Good morning, Patricia. I apologise if there's some interference. No, you're yes, I'm on my way up. You're on your way up. To, okay, go, go back to last year. How successful were the goats last year? Well, it's like this. They were so successful that we actually couldn't get them back this year because there wasn't enough brush for them to eat. So we'd be subsidising their diet. So that's why we decided to bring the sheep in this time, phase two. And remind us where you got this whole idea from. Um, I was uh, visiting my cousin in the Gower in Wales and I saw sheep walking around the Gower and the place looked like a carpet. So I thought, wow, that would work well for us, I think. But um, when we had people down to look and we investigated, we were told that goats would do a better job because there was so much brush, ivy, um, and different uh, plants that the sheep wouldn't eat. And how did the, did you just literally leave the goats into the graveyard? Was there additional care needed? Oh God, yeah, we definitely for the goats. We had um, we're very fortunate. Cork and Council have been really on board with this, um, so they lent us uh, ten foot by ten foot harvest fencing, twenty of them. Okay. 
And we would, because they ate so much, we would have to move them every week. <laughs> you can imagine that was a challenge. Yeah. Um, and we had the goats till September, but we had to move them back to Hungry Hill because it was a rutting season and they were oh. four males. Oh, okay. And they were mad for road. So they were escaping. <laughs> so we put them down okay. to Hungry Hill and I'm uh, glad to tell you that Keen, one of our pup goats, just had an offspring. Well done. Called Billy the Kid. <laughs> <laughs> So there's this fierce interest in it and it's been fantastic for the community. And did the goats get used to people coming in oh, and out? Yeah. yeah, they did. Oh, absolutely. Like when I go up to see the sheep now, they're going to start saying mass because they know I'm the food lady. Okay. So, so is is the sheep more work or less work than the goats? Um. Well, I would say for their care, we're very um, conscious of dogs off leads. All right. That would be our biggest um, scare, really. So we just have to make sure, and we've signage everywhere, asking people to please put their dogs on leads. Okay, and people are abiding by And are the sheep getting used to people as well? Well, unfortunately, too used to people. You can actually rub them now. Oh, that's so They sweet. come right up to the Harris Penting. Yeah. And you can rub them. So there's two lambs, two sheep. Um, and we're going to have a competition for Easter to name the lambs. Okay. So and it's a community effort again. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing the job. They're keeping they the grass are. down. Yes, fantastic. It's a great initiative. And I'm getting a lot of calls from other community groups nationally asking how we did it and how it can be done. But it's such an eco-friendly way as well, isn't uh-huh. it, to maintain the graveyards? Well, absolutely. Like last year... Um, the goats unearthed a lot of headstones from the 1700s. Engineers that would have worked up in Fort Camden in the 1900s. Yeah. And the Fort Camden group have been in touch with an engineering core group in England and they're sharing information. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. It's been fantastic. And are you, tr- are, you, are you trying to make a record of who's now buried in the graveyard? So what we did after the ghost did such a good job, we applied for funding from Cork County Council and we hired Heritage.ie and we've registered over 400 headstones. That is, and is it's a very old graveyard. Obviously, yes. is, is 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 it full? Is there anybody? Is there is it still no, in use? No, you can't. No. no, no, you can't be buried unless you family. The oldest headstone that we found is seventeen eleven. Okay, and we were told previously um, they didn't actually write on headstones, so it would be one of the first headstones. Uh, and do families still visit visit loved ones' graves? So is it still? Yes, yeah, they do. Since well, since we started this and it's gone nationally and with a lot of press, we've been getting a lot of calls and emails from America, England, France about relatives being buried up there. Mm. Um, so what we found is that people now have started maintaining family plots. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you will when you know when one day life returns to normal and our tourists descend once again on this beautiful isle. People like that when they're tracing routes. They like to go back and find a headstone of yeah. where where you know their ancestors were buried. It's it's an important part of that genealogical trail that people do. 
It is, and it's a great part of a walk we have from Church Bay to Marshville Centers Bay. It's on sitting on top of the hill. So the amount of people walking is just fantastic. And somebody wants to know, where did you get last year's goats and where did you get this year's sheep from? <laughs> so it took me about a year to see if I could rent goats off someone. And Nora DeBar from Castletown there answered the call. Okay. And she lent us the four goats. A local lady in Cargilline has rented uh, one of them gifted us the sheep and she will take them back okay. when we're done with them. Okay. Um, how can people enter your competition to name the lambs? Um, look on our Temple Breezy Saver Steeple uh, page. It'll be coming up for Easter. So please do. Okay. And you can follow us on there. Our progress. Okay. And how long is the Save Our Steeple Committee up and running? About four years, it all started with consolidating St. Matthew's Church. Um, and last September, I brought Minister Michael McGrath up there to try and help us push it through. And fortunately, he did. So we have the consolidation of the church done. And now it's focusing on the graveyard. Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, uh, good luck with your, your sheep and the tending <laughs> the graveyard. It's a fabulous. I'd love to see other groups uh, pick up on it. I think it's a, t- a terrific, terrific uh, idea. Thanks a million for taking time Thank out you. to talk Thanks to us, uh, Audrey. Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Crosshaven Councillor. Audrey Buckley on her way up to keep an eye on the sheep in Temple Brady in St. Matthew's Graveyard. Uh, 1850 There was a text in earlier sending me on a link that has come out from Australia, from Sydney in Australia. And a listener says, Patricia's a healthcare worker. Why are we leaving people into this country and then leaving them out again? Uh, we could all do with a break in a hotel from all of uh, this. It should be us that should be going on a break from having to listen to the government day in, day out. This government needs to wake up. They need to listen to the people on the ground. They should all be the ones on the pop payment. They need to open up the this country and let us get on with our lives. But the same listener then sent on saying that if we had done it correctly and if we had listened to Neffet back in May of last year and if we had introduced hotel quarantining and stopped people bringing in all the different variants into this country, we would be in a very different position today. And would we be in the same position that Sydney in Australia is from next Monday? They are starting to ease restrictions. And listen to this. If you are living in Sydney in Australia, masks are no longer, will no longer be mandatory on public transport. There will be no cap on the numbers allowed inside a person's home. No cap on the numbers allowed at a wedding or at a funeral. There will be no restriction for dancing at nightclubs and pubs and they are allowing a 100% capacity crowd allowed at all stadiums and that is what is happening in Sydney in Australia from next Monday and, if, and they are one of the countries that had a very strict and still have a very strict hotel quarantining system. Anyone coming into the country must go into hotel quarantining uh, for two weeks and any cases of COVID that they have had have all been inside in these hotels and then they wait until the person is completely... uh, 
past the quarantine time before they are allowed out and they have managed to keep the economy uh, pretty much, they have it pretty much back to normal at this stage and actually their economy is actually there. They're, they're starting to boom again and they're obviously now, there's a big push in Australia for internal travel, for staycationing and all of that. And I know at one stage the government were talking about, I think it's from April or is it into May, they are talking about giving subsidised flights internally to get people to travel. Obviously it's, it's a big country to get people to travel to all the parts of the country so that they can open up the tourist, tourist season there themselves from a staycationing point of view. But certainly looking at that, that is life very much returning to normal in Sydney and Australia from next Monday. And how sad that we could have been there. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Or could have been close to being there. Yeah, I think if we had stopped importing, allowing people come into this country and bringing different variants of coronavirus with them. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A Douglas listener sent in a question and I actually had a similar one yesterday and I just didn't get a chance to get around it. Douglas listener said, I've had my first jab. Well done. Have I some immunity now or do I have to wait until I get the second one? Okay, this is the official advice from the HSE. I just don't know what jab you actually got, but there's only three in use at the moment. If it's the AstraZeneca, it takes three weeks after getting the first dose of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine to start to work. You need to get a second dose 12 weeks after your first one and then it takes 15 days after getting the second dose to have the best protection but from three weeks in the AstraZeneca one starts to work. With the Moderna and the Pfizer it's slightly different. With the Moderna it takes 14 days after getting the second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine to work and you need to get your second dose four weeks after your first one. With the Pfizer 
It takes seven days after the second dose of the Pfizer for the vaccine to work and you need to get your second dose three to four weeks after your first dose. So depending on which one it is, uh, I don't know if you got the AstraZeneca, the Moderna or the uh, Pfizer, but um, you will you will get you will get immunity uh, then. And of course, there's lots of the still the protection after getting both doses. And when you get your full vaccination, most people will then be protected against the virus. There is obviously still a small chance that you could get COVID-19 after vaccination, but the one plus to vaccination is if you do get COVID-19 being vaccinated reduces how serious the symptoms are and um, you know there's a huge protection against dying or ending up in hospital seriously unwell and the jury is still out on whether if you have the vaccine and you pick it up can you spread it to other people there's more research and more research is still ongoing on that one at the moment thank you for your uh, text hi Patricia this is John in Clam been listening to your programme over the last few weeks and it's all about restrictions and easing of restrictions and when will restrictions be eased and people shouting about one restrictions eased but really it should all be about vaccination vaccination is the key the sooner everyone gets vaccinated the faster things will open up you can sing it from the rooftops John I'm with you on that one 100% Michael says Patricia I'm fuming at the government not listening to Neffet and Neffet's advice we saw what happened at Christmas when the government didn't listen to them and look where that got us if people heeded the advice we'd be in a far better place now we need to get more people vaccinated before we start opening up hospitalities are the graveyards will just become fuller sad to hear the different sectors shouting about how they want to reopen surely the aim should be to get out of lockdown with the numbers as low as possible and the vaccine numbers wrapped, ramped up at a pace and then we can start at fully reopening the country again thank you for that Michael this is a Fromoy resident saying hi Patricia there's a cafe in town I just can't figure out why people gather outside of it. They all seem to stand very close together. None of them obviously are wearing masks because they're drinking cups of coffee and having something to eat and having a bit of a chat and I can tell you they're not all related when they're in close proximity with each other. Myself and my family have to pass the cafe walking every day and the people won't move out of the way. We end up having to walk out onto a busy road with traffic just to avoid them. I'm wondering why the guards are not moving people on when they congregate outside cafes or congregate outside areas. Uh, surely they should be moved on. Yeah, and, and you know when you're queuing outside a shop you're always told to give yourself the two metres and in fairness uh, people do but I don't know when you grab the cup of coffee at the cafe is that sort of that lend itself then to suddenly having the chat with somebody or not so just uh, let us give that out to people if you are going for a cup of coffee in a cafe anywhere take your cup of coffee but move on don't be standing outside because you're blocking up the footpath when people need to walk on by Tim and Mallow says Patricia why are they giving out debts that occurred in February and January it happened again yesterday 12 of the deaths had actually occurred in January. It seems to me that the government in Neffet are they trying their best to scare the public into a harder lockdown. We're now at our wits end. Why aren't they trying to get the Russian vaccine, the Sputnik vaccine, which is already peer reviewed and appears to be very good. I can't understand them at all why they're not just, not just desperately trying to get vaccines. I think the public are getting fed up as well, big time, says uh, Tim in Mallow. And I know this came up yesterday, somebody else 
also asked about that, about the delay with the, the debts. And it's to do with, it isn't, you know, you can't blame Neffet and you can't blame the government on this. It's to do with delays with the hospitals reporting. And sometimes they're unsure if somebody has died as a direct result of COVID. I think can be, sometimes there can be a query over uh, the deaths and then therefore it gets reported late. And it seems to be happening more and more. Is it my imagination or is it more and more now we're hearing when the deaths are announced, there's always the next statement is so many of them occurred. Uh, in February or, or even yesterday some of them had even occurred back in uh, January there just seems to be a delay and I don't know what Neffet and the government can do about it and as for the Russian vaccine the Sputnik one the European Medicines Agency announced at the weekend that they are now starting to look at it and we know the European Medicines Agency they're quicker now at giving the authorizations for vaccines that they were when they first started it was Pfizer the first one they gave the nod to and they were very slow with giving the go-ahead and they were very slow with giving the go-ahead on AstraZeneca as well but they certainly are speeding up the process because I know for example the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine they were much quicker at giving the go-ahead for that than they were at any of the previous ones so they've started to do the review of it and they're looking at it and all of the evidence that is in. So I think sooner rather than later, Tim in Mallow, we can expect to hear that the European Medicines Agency will give the go ahead for the Russian vaccine. And then, of course, it'll be up to the individual member states uh, to say, yes, we'll take it and then get orders uh, in for it. Because, yeah, I have seen it has been peer, peer reviewed and there is very good evidence coming out from that Russian vaccine that it's a particularly good uh, vaccine. Uh, thanks for your text, Tim. Meg is on about, oh, this is when we were talking about the moon and the the circle that was around the moon. I don't know how many people saw that and we spoke about it earlier, actually. And somebody, wasn't it the forecaster from Carlo? What's his name? Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather said that folklore say that when a halo appears around a moon, it often predicts that there's a storm on the way and Met Aaron are saying there's a bit of bad weather on, on the way. One of our listeners says that um, um, another person called Alan says Alan from Carlo Weather is at right about the ring around the moon. It is a sign of bad weather. I remember we used to hear that a lot when I was a child and there is very unsettled weather towards the end of the week which has led Meg to say March will go out like a lion and it came in like a lamb and it should be the reverse isn't it? Isn't Doesn't March isn't that normally the saying that March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb? Meg reckons the opposite is certainly going to happen this year because we did the start of March was quite nice but looking at the forecast for the next week it isn't great. And then a couple of people were on. Remember the listener who contacted us because she has old baking tins and old frying pans and she contacted us to see if we could find out from the listeners if anybody knew if the recycling centres would take these old old baking tins and old frying pans. She used to bake professionally, but not anymore. And she's obviously doing a bit of a clean out and she wants to get rid of them. Somebody says, what a shame to be thinking of dumping the baking tins. Baking tins get better with age. I'm sure if the lady put up a notice, say in a local shop, 
to say that they were going free to a good home, I'm sure that she would get lots of offers and uh, people would be only too willing to take some of them off her hands. Eileen uh, says, Patricia, the lady with the old baking tins, tell her to put them up on done deal, free to take away. Or there's lots of acts of kindness pages here because I don't know where she's texting us from. There could be an act of kindness page. I know there's a really good one in Mallow, for example, where you could put them up, you know, free to a good home and whatever and people might be able to take them uh, from you. And I also made the suggestion if she wants to hold on to them until we the charity shops reopen. I'm sure the charity shops would take them. And then somebody else was on to say, yeah, absolutely, if she if all else fails and she does want to bring them to the recycling centre, uh, they certainly will take them from her because somebody bought old saucepans there before and they took them at the recycling centre. So it is it is possible that they will take them from you. But I'd like to see them go on to be used by other people and baking wonderful cakes and breads going into the future. It would, be, it would be nice if they just got a new home instead. And on what's happening over in the UK with the amount of vaccination they're doing compared to us, the texter says, Boris says that capitalism and greed are the reasons why they are where they are with their vaccines. They're keeping all their vaccines for their own. Also, this listener says they're paying vaccinators £24 sterling an hour. How bad? What are hours getting paid? Or I remember when the GPs signed up. The GPs, I'm sure, was it, was it €70 Euro an hour? GPs were getting paid. Those that went into the vaccination centres, I'm sure it was. And I know it was slightly less was going to be paid to pharmacists who've decided to sign up as uh, vaccinators. But the going rate in the UK is twenty four pounds sterling an hour and just by the way when I mentioned pharmacies we've had a gentleman on whose wife works in a pharmacy and he's given out stink because the pharmacist has been vaccinated and his wife works in the pharmacy and, and, and the staff, the rest of the staff hasn't been vaccinated yet and he feels that is really, really unfair. Well, I can tell you the reason behind that is a lot of our wonderful pharmacists who do fantastic work with the flu jab, they have signed up to be vaccinators and to do the training to be vaccinators for the COVID-19 jab. But in order for them to be able to vaccinate members of the general public and this, I mean, pharmacists will really kick in when we get a big supply of vaccine onto our shore and it's open to the general public to step forward to get vaccinated. Um, the vaccinator must be vaccinated before they can start vaccinating anybody else. So that's why pharmacists inside your local chemist they may be getting the vaccine but the staff are not the staff are along with the general population waiting to get vaccinated so it isn't that the pharmacist is deciding I'm going to get vaccinated on my staff or not it's just the way it's been done vaccinators need to be vaccinated before they can administer the vaccine to anybody else 1850 333 103 lines open The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical Medical support or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Now, as, as we mentioned earlier, due to COVID-19, the usual Daffodil Day collections cannot go ahead this year for the Irish uh, Cancer Society. But members of the Mallow Irish Cancer Society Daffodil Day Fundraising Committee are asking people to keep a lookout in local shops, in the credit unions, in the banks, because they've got the silk daffodil boxes on sale and you're please asked to support. You can also support the Daffodil Day fundraising by participating in an online quiz this Saturday night hosted by Dr Kevin Conlon from Mallow and you can donate to their GoFundMe page which is Table Quiz for the Irish Cancer Society Mallow branch. Full details are also available on Dr 
to Congan's Facebook page are you can join Mallow Athletic Club they're encouraging people to walk run or jog from Friday this Friday through to next Wednesday and donate to their GoFundMe page which is the justgiving.com page forward slash daffodil day Mallow remember all monies raised locally will stay locally and the team at Castle Marto Resort they're taking part in a virtual run in aid of the Ronald McDonald House they're doing it up to next Sunday by virtually running 490 kilometres now why 490 kilometres well that's the distance from Castle Martyr Hotel Resort to the Ronald McDonald House and back again and during the event they're appealing for donations by logging on to their idonate.ie Castle Martyr Resort MHC and Dylan's Adventures will continue their efforts to raise funds for Barrettstown with their latest event Walk All Day Within Our 5K it takes place on Easter Monday uh, Dylan together with his dad Pat and sister Rachel plan to start walking at 7am and walk all day until sunset after 8pm and you can help them with their fundraising for Barrettstown by donating on their Just Giving page Walk All Day Within Our 5K Court today on C1 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Okay, I can see a lot of questions coming in for Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, and we'll be going to Peter in a couple of minutes. But I want to go to Margaret in Enniskeen first, who has contacted the program. Good afternoon to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. I'm thrilled to be talking. Well, it's great. Thank you for contacting us. This is to do with a car park in Enniskeen. Explain to us firstly where the car park is. The car park is right between the school and the church. Busy car park? A very busy car park. The school are using it to park during the day and the teachers park there. And uh, the buses used to go in there, but they don't anymore because of the potholes. And... Um, people use it for funerals and stuff but they're limited now at the moment but it's just that we don't know exactly what's happening it's very dangerous at the moment you've seen what I sent to win um, I have seen mobility scooters almost toppling over trying to get by and there's people walking with disabilities and God love them if they're going to fall they could break a hip or anything and then there's wheelchairs so it's really a matter of Something will happen if they don't do something soon. Now, you very kindly have sent on photographs. I mean, these are more than potholes. Some of them look like big craters. You'd nearly wash oh, a baby in one of those. Yeah, they're dreadful. I was saying to John Paul earlier that if there was a few ducks around, they'd be having a field <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, and actually, in one of the photographs, it looks like somebody had been pushing a pram. You, you'd get a That's pram. Right, you, yeah. you get a pram right. stuck in in one of those. All oh, the prams have an awful job because some of the wheels would be small, so they have to go into the car park where there's cars flying in and out, and then they have to try and go around the other potholes and try and get back up onto the footpath again. So, what happened? What really, really frightened me was I actually saw. Uh, uh, one of the mobility scooters almost being turned over. Oh, goodness. goodness. And you see there's four people at least with mobility scooters yeah. coming out yeah. from Gorkmira and going down to the shop for their little bitty yeah, and, and they have their masks on and God love them. If they topple over, who's going to pick them up? Who's going to take them to the hospital? Who's going to see after them after that? Like, I think it's ridiculous. It should, it's gone on too long now. It's been going on for ages. Now, these potholes didn't appear overnight. 
No, they're there for a long, long time now. And I really and truly thought they do it while the school was closed. And there's lots of questions being asked and everybody's saying this and everybody's saying that, but there's nobody coming up with a solution. So and is it the... Ma- is we, what we want is an answer. Do you have many car parks in Enniskeen? That's the main car park, but is then it, there's yeah. a, another one down below beside... Um, well, I know the, the shop in Enniskeen have their own car park and then Grangers have their own car park, small little one. And um, there's one then kind of... I suppose there was going to be a credit union in Enniskeen and then there's a bit of a car park there. But a lot of people that work in, in, um, in I suppose, maybe McSweeney's and maybe the shop, they park way up the hill on the Castletown Road. Because they don't want to park in this car park with the condition of it, I imagine, as well. Uh, and no, that's true. No, you see, they wouldn't be using the car park. Oh, they wouldn't be using it, OK. But the fact that it's by the school and by the church, you said, as well. So it's, that's the reason it's yes. used. It's, it's, it's a very convenient uh, park. Car park. Oh, now the big question park. is, who owns the car park? Oh, we think it's the church. Ah, okay. So therein could lie the problem. The now I could be told, told something totally different. Now the council should be able to tell you that as well. Now the council did have bins there. They used to have bins for cardboard and plastic, and then people started bringing their waste from every every corner of the earth. In fact, they were throwing raw food in there, so that got rid of that. And then there was, we had the cans and the bottles and they disappeared as well because I don't know what happened between the church and the council. So that's another question they need to answer. Yeah, and so, we've we've put a call into the council to try to find out who is the ownership because I'm assuming if it's under the ownership of Cork County Council, they at some stage would have gone in and done some kind of repairs on it. Well, well, you see, there are things, the people that we're talking to, the mothers and everything else, everyone that's using the car park, they think it's the church and the church can't afford to repair it. But then I was saying, why don't, why don't they come up with the idea of doing um, a fundraiser? Mm. Because it would be a lot cheaper to do a fundraiser and raise the money than if somebody gets hurt or killed. Councillor Declan Hurley has just WhatsApped me to say, Hi Trish, the car park in Enniskeen is private property. It is owned by the church. It was being maintained by Cork County Council, but no longer is. So there is the question. If it was once maintained by Cork County Council, why have Cork County Council stopped maintaining it? That's the obvious question, because oh the church God. are not going to have the money. The church are certainly not, and certainly not in the middle of a pandemic. No, they're not. I know they're doing up the inside of the church at the moment. That's another question. Okay, so it, all the plaster has been knocked off the walls inside of the church because the church is locked. Uh, it, 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 the doors are open, but there's no entry and there's people carrying out work in there. Mm. So... I it needs know. to be, regardless, it needs to be sorted, particularly if it's a car park that's been used. And as you say, it's a health and safety risk now to people on mobility yeah. scooters and, and people, in, people in wheelchairs. All get together and decide who's going to do what. OK, and somebody wants us to point out that that's not Max Sweeney's now. It's called Kyohan Ready Mix Group. OK. Hi to everybody in Kyohan Ready Mix Group. Listen, my God, there's always somebody out there to put us right, isn't there? Listen, Margaret, in, what's the weather like in, in a skein? Have you rain on the way? Or are you, oh, it's it, lovely now at the it, moment. Yeah. It's quite frosty in the morning, but midday is beautiful for the gardening. And then 
Come and evenings on it, it's very, very cold. Yeah, it's gone. You can already, there is a, there's certainly a bit of a change in the weather and that circle around the moon last night is telling us that the weather is going to get, is certainly going to get bad. Okay, listen, we'll leave it there and we'll get back on. We'll find oh, out from right. the council okay. if they once because maintained it. The country, schools, the country schools have no car park okay. and the poor creators have to park all the way along the road. Every country school has a park on the side of the road. So we're so lucky. Blessed. So we need to get our act together. All right, right, Margaret. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And another Margaret, when we were talking about the weather, and uh, as I was saying, I always thought it comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Margaret says, March comes in like a... If March comes in like a lion, then it does go out like a lamb. But Margaret says, my mother, Lord Tamar used to say, if it comes in like a lamb, which is what it's done this year, then it will go out like a lamb. So it's the opposite of whatever it does at the start of the month. You can expect the other end of the month to be the exact opposite. So it looks like that that is what's going to happen this year because we certainly had a lovely start to March and there was great talks about spring is here and spring is sprung and people were delighted with it. But it looks like it's going to roar out like a lion. OK, we are going to take a break and Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, is going to be joining us answering all of your questions. That's up next. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowdell, the Irish gardener, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm just going to say to people, stop calling, texting and WhatsApping because there's so many questions in. We have and a hope of getting through all of them. But let me start with some emails that came in with photographs during the week that we were able to send on to uh, Peter, starting with a hedge that our listener says looks diseased, not sure what to do with it. It's a patch of the hedge. The rest of it looks healthy. What is your advice? No, this is the grisset. Yeah, this is the Grisselinia hedge, um, Patricia, and it's obviously your listeners can't see it, but it's kind of got the patch of it has black stems, kind of withered and, and brown and uh, completely leafless in this area. Now, that this is uh, it's a root rot called Phytophthora. So Phytophthora is quite a common fungal infection, unfortunately, in this part of the world. Uh, and the treatment is there's no there's no magic wand for it and that I can't tell you to go out and spray it with this and it'll it'll magically come back. It won't. Uh, the only thing we can do here is what we call cultural control. So uh, what that means is, again, a bit like I, I, as I often refer to when we get an infection, Trish, you need to remove as physically remove as much of the infection as possible, then treat the infection uh, and then feed with a tonic to, to build it up. So in this case, you need to remove uh, the the dead and dying grisselinia in this hedge. So get them out, roots and all. Uh, remove as much of the disease material from the hedge and from the plants either side of it as possible. Give them a good cut back. Um, don't put them in the compost heap. Don't leave them in the garden. Dump them off site somewhere. Um, uh, then treat the area with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water uh, and treat it or feed it then with the, the nature safe Atlantic seaweed, which is probably the best kind of general purpose feed to get them up and going at the moment. The good news is that if you do that, you will hopefully stop it spreading and getting worse. Uh, but the bad news is if you don't, it'll probably just take out the whole hedge, I'm afraid. Um, 
the, the fungal spores of Phytophthora, they spread in, in, in kind of, they spread in the soil, in water molecules in the soil, they spread slowly from plant to plant. Or, I mean, we're all experts at disease control nowadays, obviously, for obvious reasons, nothing to do with the garden. But we have a lot to learn from nature in the garden too, of course. And it, it comes back to disease, cultural control, disease control. So in other words, if you moved that uh, infected soil or, or that infected material, if you moved it to another part of the garden, you're simply spreading the disease. Mm -hmm. So you do have to be careful that you, that you don't put properly and that you clean. So in other words, if you're cutting back the hedge there, make sure, make absolutely sure that you clean any cutting materials that are cutting um, tools are your, your shovels and spades, any digging tools, clean it after you've gone at it, or you're only going to spread the disease to the next place you, you use a shovel, you know? You'll end up with a big gap, though, in the hedge. Can You, you can replant yeah. then. Yeah, unfortunately, you will end up with a gap. It's unavoidable. Um, you, you will, yeah. So, yes, you can replant. So I would take out the infected soil from that area, I realistically, to a depth of two or three feet, if you can. Um and probably remove the good plant, at least one plant on either side of the diseased uh, area. Again, take it, it's quite a big job. And then put in fresh topsoil and you could try to put in fresh crystallinia again. OK, but it is quite a big job, I'm afraid. Yeah. OK, and someone else has sent in, this is Patricia, has sent in pictures of a red robin leaf looking for your advice. Last year we had the same problem, so we went to the trouble of taking every leaf off the plant and cutting it back in the hope that it would help. But alas, here we go again, same problem, picture attached and it, the leaves look quite infected with something. Now, just bear with me here, Trish, because I haven't seen that one. It's so the I'm red robin question. It came in from Patricia. Oh, I have it there. Yeah. Sorry, I do. I see it there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just bear with me. I'll have a look at it. Okay. So she's saying that the, the, the leaves are still as bad. Yeah, and they cut it. Yeah, but they're not that bad. It's, it's just a bit of a leaf spot. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. It's actually the same advice as what I gave on the Grisolinia one there. In, in that you need to do the same thing. So there's a bit of a red mottling on the leaf, uh, a red spot. It is a fungal spot again, but I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. It will weaken the plant slightly, but it's nothing like the problem we just had with the Vitophthora. Um, but again, a, a, a drench with a solution of copper sulfate and water and a, and a feed with the, the nature-safe uh, Atlantic seaweed, that should be enough to drive that on. You cut it back last year. It's good and strong this year. I think you'll be okay if you do those two things with it. It should be okay. Okay, here's an interesting question in from John. He's looking for your, what you think about most landscape operatives when they cut the grass, they remove the grass from the area and dump it. John says, surely the grass should be left behind to rot into the ground. I think it's a disgrace removing cut grass and then dumping it. It's great to see a nice, a nice clean job when the grass is removed, but I can see the difference in my own area an area where cut grass is not removed the grass is a lot better it's richer looking and looks better on the eye uh, surely people what I would propose John says people should do is cut the grass and leave it for a few days to rot back into the ground because it works as a fertiliser would Peter agree I agree and I disagree like <laughs> like a good feed of all TD I agree and I disagree <laughs> uh, I, I believe strongly and I feel quite strongly that we need to stop looking at organic matter like lawn clippings and, and hedge clippings and that. We need to stop looking at that as a waste product. It's not. That, that is the raw material for compost and for soil, which this planet so badly needs at the moment. So we need to stop looking at it uh, as a waste product and composted. So yes, I do agree that it shouldn't be dumped. Uh, and I also agree that if you can leave it on the grass to break down, then yes, that is the best thing to do. However, 
However, if the grass is longer than an inch or two, and you're or sorry, if the mowings are so you're if it's any way damp and you're you're cutting mowings that are an inch or two in length and leaving them on the ground on the lawn, well then no, you're not doing the lawn any favors because you're creating damp a damp warm environment around the soil surface which is going to lead to to number one the weight of it is going to lead to the grass going yellow and growing horizontally instead of vertically but also you're leading to ideal conditions for the development of fungal problems at the soil surface and a build-up of thatch all these things that we don't want so you can get what's called a mulching mower trish which are lawnmowers that that if you can imagine your 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 your, your standard lawnmower that we all use cuts the grass once and collects it into a basket or a bucket or leaves it behind a mulching mower it, it the, the blade it, it would be hard to describe it without seeing it but basically instead of just cutting the grass once it cuts it about five times underneath the, the lawnmower so what it leaves behind is, is more or less dust you're not leaving inches of mowings it cuts it four or five times before it falls to the ground so it's literally dust so the long-winded answer to the question i think a mulching mower is probably the best course of action because you do, you're not creating a waste product you are putting dust nearly back on the soil so it does have time to compost in it's not going to affect the grass growth or not lead to a build-up of thatch so uh, a mulching more i think is the solution the and, and the right answer to all of that yeah. okay a number of people have the same type of question let me sum it up with alan in mayfield says i cut the grass uh, for the first time this year last weekend and there's a lot more ma- moss than on previous years what's the easiest solution to restore the lawn my lawn is not very big it's approximately three meters by four meters says alan and a number of other people then asking the same question saying for i don't know if it's just this year or what but a lot of other people are saying how do you get rid of moss on lawns seem to have way more than i had last year I, suspe- I, I suspect you, I suspect you may have more questions on it than previous years and people might be noticing it more than previous years that but that's be not it. because the moss is any worse it's because we're all at home more and we're all <laughs> looking at the garden more um so yeah uh so there's uh, several ways to approach moss right now the, the traditional way of dealing with moss on your lawn was sulfate of iron and products which contained sulfate of iron because sulfate of iron will kill moss it'll turn it and you've seen it it turns moss that kind of red to black color so you've got dead moss in the lawn which needs to be raked out but the problem with using sulfate of iron as a moss control i don't recommend it and the reason i don't trish is because yes it'll kill the moss but it's actually making your soil more acidic which is the optimum ph for moss to come back to grow again right and that's the last thing you want what you want to be doing is Have we been left down by technology? Come in to us, Peter. Come in to us, Peter. No, will we, John Paul, we'll see if we can get um, Peter back to us or not because so many people seem to have this very same problem. The problem with the uh, with the moss and actually somebody else is wondering about uh, scarifying. So when I get Peter back on, I will get to that question as well as soon as we've organised uh, Peter back onto the line. Somebody said, hi, Patricia, this is uh, listening to Margaret, who was talking about the potholes in Enniskeen. I've emailed the roads senior engineer south and west Cork on surfaces of roads from Bantry into Cork and back again. February with potholes and surface wrecked in places in to Dunmanway and Dreamer League on 
into Bandon and then on into Cork. I was told we had bad weather which caused this and there was also an amount of pipe laying. I would have thought with less traffic on the road this would be a good time to try to repair road surfaces but there always seems to be some kind of an excuse that is from uh, Heidi. Okay, he's on online too. Okay, I've got to go to Peter back on the phone line. Sorry about that Peter. No, he's not online too. He is... Um, back back over here sorry back on the Trish. Back, you're back with us sorry thank you for that okay. Trish I am back with yeah, you sorry okay. you're talking, you were talking about moss and how to get rid of moss I was and I, how much of it did you get I was talking about the, traditionally we used uh, the sulphate of iron that's it but the problem with sulphate of iron is it makes the pH of the soil more acidic which is ideal for the, the for, for moss to grow and come back so we, what we want is to make the soil slightly alkaline Um so by making the soil more alkaline, you're creating optimum conditions for grass growth, but moss can't come back in that situation. So I would much rather do that than opposed to using a sulfate of iron product. Um, at this time of the year, here we are in the middle of March, end of March, if you scarify your lawn, which is really just a, like a big big mechanical rake, uh, Trish, where you're, you're ripping up the grass at the soil surface. So, you know, grass underneath the tires of lawnmowers and things, grass will begin to grow horizontally, okay, where it should, of course, be growing vertically towards the sky. Uh, and thatch is a natural, like there's a buildup of dead and decaying organic matter at the soil surface. It's perfectly natural, but when it gets, when the buildup happens quicker than it can break down, that's when we get the problem so we need to rake that up with a scarifier the lawn will look desperate now after this i'm afraid before it looks better so scarify it then apply the, what i my go-to product for the lawn is lawn gold because it does it, it um it creates that slightly alkaline ph in the soil which moss can't grow in but it also gives a, a good nutrient uh, uh, injection if you like to the to the grass so it keeps good healthy grass and makes sure moss can't come back but if you do scarify it, it, it beforehand you you'll, you'll have an excellent job done stay on scarifying because a listener says what's the best way to treat a lawn after using the scarifier there's very little grass left actually it's nearly bare <laughs> is it too early to put grass seeds on it no, it's not too early with the middle or the end of March now at this stage. It's not too early, but there is one out there. It's another Irish one. It's um, Nature Safe, Nature Safe Lawn. I think it's called Lawn Feed and Seed. And I've used that before on patchy lawns. So now that you've scarified it and it's a bit patchy, get yourself a bag of the Nature Safe. It's it's, it's Feed and Seed. I'm fairly sure it's what it's called. And it is as it sounds. It, it feeds the existing grass, but there's also seed mixed in with it. Um, to, to fill in the gaps so that's what I put on it Hi uh, Peter this is from Tim listening to us in Limerick my strawberries in pots have been eaten by a small white grub how do I avoid it this year thanking you Yes that small white grub uh, as you were reading out the question I was I guessed what, what the problem was going to be because it's vine weevil and they, they can be a particular, particular problem with strawberries they're rather partial to them as a, as am I, but I'm partial to the fruits of strawberries. The, the vine weevil grubs are partial to the roots of the strawberry plant, and it's very, it's one of these problems that you you can't see the damage because it's all happening under the ground until it's too late when the when the rosette of leaves comes comes away in your hand and the plant is dead. Um, how it's in pots, so how you can avoid it happening this year? Certainly, get rid of any of the soil or compost that were in the pots from last year. Clean it, make sure because if you're just planting into the soil, the chances of the grubs being still there are quite high. So, um remove that soil start off with fresh soil uh, there are chemicals out there to control vine weevil i'm not going to even mention them by name because i really would urge people not to use them because these vine weevil killers contain a, a type of chemical called neonicotinoid which uh, as you're probably aware trish are, are very bad press for 
for, I'm not saying how accurate it is, but they do have very bad press for being responsible or partly responsible for the declining bee population. So mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't recommend using any of those chemicals. There is, There are other uh, nematodes that you can get. I know nematodes are a type of biological control uh, where you introduce a, a parasitic nematode to feed on the, 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 the grubs of the vine weevil. Uh, and then when the vine weevils die off, there is nothing for the nematode to feed on, so they die off as well. So that biological control, a quick search online for a nematode for vine weevil would be the way I would, uh, the way I would advise going. Okay, Sarah says, this is on her, she has a red robin with brown spots on the lower leaves. She sprayed it at this soil and at the base with the copper sulphate. She's wondering how often does she need to spray it? Just once. So copper sulfate is an organic uh, fungus, broad spectrum fungicide, if you like, Trish. But um, it's not something that you would be applying willy nilly or every week or every month. Once, maximum twice a year would be enough. So it's all about getting it at the right time. So when did she say she did it in the last week or two, was it? Yeah, just yeah, recently. Yeah, so that that's kind of that's now is just the perfect time of the year. So if it's recently in the, within the last couple of weeks, that's fine. Okay, because you're 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 putting it onto it now, just as it's coming into bud burst, just as the new growth is starting. So it's the right time to do it. Mike in Bantry says, "Hi, Peter. I've recently moved into a new house. Congratulations, Mike. And I want to make a rose bed. Could you give me some advice, please?" <laughs> Well, I'm not going to give you advice on which roses to grow because there are thousands, and I mean literally thousands available to all of us to buy tomorrow, Trish. So you really got to do your own homework on that in terms of which colour and that that you'd like. I would steer you, though, towards uh, a particular, it's like a group of roses, is the David Austin roses. David Austin is a nursery in the UK that have been breeding roses. He only died himself a couple of years ago. Um, but the David Austin Rose Nursery. Now, their roses are available throughout Ireland and throughout the world, but the David Austin roses are, they're kind of the old English roses, but with the with the, the attributes of, of modern hybridising, if you like, so the disease resistance and things like that. So look for David Austin roses. And after that, you're on your own in terms of colour and scent, right? But okay. roses are hungry feeders, so give them a really rich soil. So, uh, you know, a good fresh topsoil, good, like add as much organic matter to it as you can, your own homemade compost or municipal green waste compost or any kind of good compost that you can get, farmyard manure, well-rotted, horse manure, any well-rotted manure, dig it into the soil, make it a really rich, friable, good texture soil, Uh, plant your roses. When you're planting your roses, just have a look at the top of the pot, just above the soil surface in the pot, you'll see what's called the graft union. Now, without spending too much time on it, Trish, it's difficult to describe it. But when you see it, you kind of know you'll see it. So so ro- nearly all roses are grafted nowadays. And that graft union is important because the growth under that union is what we call sucker growth or rootstock growth. Whereas it's the growth over that union is the variety of roses that we're trying to grow. So you want to make sure you don't bury that union. That graft union should be just above the soil surface or an inch above the soil surface. And bear in mind going forward, any growth coming from below that, you need to remove. It's the growth come above that you want. So don't bury the graft union, a good rich soil, and then feed them during the year. With the, I find the best rose food is a liquid one. Gouldings make it Gouldings liquid rose food uh, and use that a few times during the year because they are hungry. Um, the copper sulfate, again, my old go-to fungus, I use that at this time of the year just to prevent them getting black spot, mildew, things like that. Uh, again, just once a year, it's much better to prevent them getting it than it is to, to fix it when they do get it uh, and feed them. And and there isn't, they have bad presses being, as being high maintenance. They're not they're really, not, a couple yeah, of, you know, yeah. and they they're feed, gorgeous. feed them and prune them. Yeah, Stunning. and Can't beat roses in uh, the garden. Eileen says, when can Alstromeras and peonies be divided? 
if you haven't done it yet do it now do it like today not tomorrow because we're running out of time so your your time for dividing plants like that would be kind of i would say uh anytime really from the start of december to to middle of march so to get out and do it now yeah is now the right time of year to set apple trees yeah, well, you can plant apple trees or any tree at any time of the year because most plants nowadays are grown in pots. So planting them, it, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, the sooner you get into the ground, the sooner it'll get established before it starts growing. So yeah, put them on in now, yeah. Jim in Clonakilty, is, is it okay to cut back fuchsia hedges at this time? And he would be in Clonakilty with a fuchsia hedge, wouldn't he? Is now the right time yeah, to do it? Yeah, yeah. I'm jealous that Clonakilty is away from my 5Ks. Yeah, but anyway, it is mine um, as well. Yeah. So yeah, it is. You could do it now. You could do it now. New growth won't have started yet, so you can, and you can cut the fuchsia hedge back as hard as you want, and it'll come on again. So yeah, do it now. Oh, sorry, uh, it's too late. It's too late, uh, Trish. Sorry, horticulturally, it's okay to do it, but no, you can't. It's because it's we're the wildlife act. You can't do it now at this time of the year. I'm afraid we should have done it before the start of March. Yeah, I was just about to say, are we are we not just gone uh, outside of the yeah. time for that? Okay, are you live on Facebook on Friday? Live on Facebook on Friday and okay. urging people to, to to remember this Friday that it's it's Daffodil Day. So obviously they have challenges with fundraising like everybody this year. So let's not forget the the Cancer Society. It's such a, a worthwhile cause this Friday. So we'll be doing we'll be painting Facebook yellow this Friday on well the Irish Garden. Well Monica. done. And we've been saying it all week. You can donate online www.cancer.ie. Peter, have a great week. We'll talk next Wednesday. And you. Thanks, Thanks for that. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, theirishgardener.com. Thanks, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messner stay safe Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at UH1.com when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.